Welcome everyone to Elevate. I am your host, Dr. Corey Sandra, chiropractic physician, outdoor enthusiast, and occasional actor. Our mission at Elevate is to help you elevate your life to new levels, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and energetically, with incredible information in the field of health and wellness from a holistic, natural approach. Let's get rolling. Welcome everyone to Elevate. I'm Dr. Corey Sandrup. Thank you for tuning in. Today's another Q&A session. These questions actually came up this week multiple times in the office from different patients and I thought today would be a good day to address these questions. I had several patients ask me, Dr. Corey, what's the difference between paleo and keto and carnivore? How are they different? How are they the same? Well, if we look at it as a spectrum, on the low end, we have the paleo diet. And from there, you can go to the autoimmune paleo diet, which is a more restrictive version of the paleo diet. And then we come even more restrictive as we move into keto. And then we go to the far end. The most restrictive is the carnivore diet. Now, the one thing that these diets all have in common no grains, no starches, no sugars, no processed sugars, no processed grains or flours or any of that type, no vegetable seed oils, no legumes, no beans, no soy. So if we start with paleo, paleo has the most to offer as far as variety of foods. So pretty much when it comes to meat or protein, You can have your beef, you can have your pork, you can have your fowl, you can have your fish, you can have your seafood, you can have your wild game. Pretty much most fruits and vegetables are allowed on the paleo diet, not the starchy veggies and not the greens. And then if we have someone who is suffering from an autoimmune disease fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, then we have the autoimmune paleo. So the only difference between AIP and paleo is in addition to the no grains and starches and sugars and vegetable seed oils and the legumes, no eggs, no nuts, no seeds, and no nightshades. So nightshades are going to be tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, and peppers. The idea behind the AIP is to eliminate the most inflammatory foods in the body because a lot of people who have autoimmune diseases they have a porous gut or leaky gut and these foods can inflame that gut and cause a whole variety of problems for the patient so the AIP autoimmune paleo is a little bit more restrictive than the paleo then we move into keto and keto is more restrictive in that biggest thing with keto is there is some controversy as to what defines a true keto diet. Some advocates say the diet should consist 70 to 80 percent fat while keeping your carbohydrates super low. Some say less than 50 grams a day. For me, I like to keep it under 30 grams a day of carbohydrates. So yes, you can still have 
the fruits and vegetables that are on the paleo diet, but just smaller proportions. Keep it under. And some people go for the high fat, 70 to 80% fat. And that fat can come from fatty cuts of meat. It can come from pure olive oil, coconut oil, avocados, olives. For me personally, I'm not that extreme with keto. I keep it high fat, high protein, under 30 carbs a day. Then we go to the extreme and carnivore diet, nothing plant-based. And we've talked about it in other episodes. But So that's basically the difference between paleo, AIP, keto, and carnivore. It's a spectrum, paleo being the most generous or most liberal, carnivore being the most restrictive. Second question, number two, is, and this happened twice this week. I had a patient come in that was just diagnosed with breast cancer, and I actually had a colleague that was just diagnosed with breast cancer, and they came to me looking for options. What can I do? What do you recommend? Well, as a chiropractor, I have to put up that big, huge disclaimer. Legally, I do not, nor can I treat cancer. So it is not my job to tell patients, don't do the chemo, don't do the surgery, don't do the radiation. That's not my job. That's something they have to deal with with their oncologist. But my job as a chiropractor, I can do everything in my power to help the patient as far as supporting their diet, their immune system, and dealing with pain. So that being said, and I told these patients... In addition to, if you're doing chemo, surgery, radiation, in addition to that, this is what I would recommend. All my cancer patients, I recommend them going to either the keto diet or preferably the carnivore diet. The rationale behind that is cancer cells love sugar. They feast on sugar. They thrive on sugar. So transitioning them to keto and carnivore to cut the carbohydrate or sugar intake out and get them going into fat metabolism to where they're burning fat for fuel, it's going to starve those cancer cells. So that's the first thing I'm going to do. Then I want to make sure they're of their vitamin D levels. The optimal range is between 70 to 100 nanograms per deciliter. But pretty much universally, I recommend 10,000 international units a day of vitamin A. I'm sorry, vitamin D. The next thing I recommend is 10 drops a day under the tongue of frankincense essential oil. Frankincense has all kinds of healing properties. It does wonders with cancer cells. So whether you're doing Young Living or doTERRA or Butterfly Express, 10 drops a day under the tongue. So yes, you're taking it internally. And then the fourth thing is iodine, whether it be Lugos or ISOL from TPCS, TPCS labs. You know, it could be anywhere from three drops to eight drops a day. I usually test it up in the office. But those are the big four things I recommend for patients dealing with cancer. And again, like I said, it's not my job to decide for them whether they do chemo or surgery or radiation or the whole combination that's up to them i let them deal with that this is just an adjunctive support as they're going through this process had several patients ask me 
when should I do ozone injections or should I do ozone injections? You know, I had a patient come in with a knee issue, another one with a shoulder issue. And the way I work in the office, I'm not just going to just, boom, go straight for the ozone. I want to look at that knee. I want to look at that shoulder. There's other things I do on that shoulder before I even get to the ozone. Now, if it's a complete tear, like the ACL is completely torn or the supraspinatus in the rotator cuff is completely torn, ozone probably isn't going to do anything. I did have a patient come in with a torn ACL. She wanted to do ozone, and I told her up front, it's probably not going to do anything, but she wanted to do it anyway. It did do wonders for her pain, it got rid of her pain, but the knee instability was still there and she needed surgery. However, with partial tears, if it's a sprain, if it's a strain, if we're dealing with arthritis, a partial tear, ozone's phenomenal. And I speak from experience. I'll get into that in a minute. So if someone has a bad knee or a bad shoulder, the first thing I'm going to do is the injury recall technique, IRT. That's an applied kinesiology technique. But I think Sheldon Dill, was the, if you go on YouTube and look up Sheldon Dill, D-E-A-L, he's a chiropractor. He shows you how to do IRT. The next thing I want to do is make sure all the tendon attachments are balanced, the Golgi tendon organs. They're all firing, working together, and I use Neuralink for that. I will adjust the joint if needed. So if I have someone coming in with a bad shoulder, I might do a glenohumeral adjustment or a, a chromioclavicular adjustment, so AC adjustment. If it's the knee, I might adjust the fibular head or do a traction adjustment on the knee. From there, I will check the spine, cervical spine, lumbar spine, thoracic spine. So I do all that. But the other thing I find with shoulder issues or any joint issue, if there's a muscle imbalance, always check for the emotion behind it. If you don't clear the emotion, the joint's not going to stabilize. And what I see most often with a shoulder injury is they will have a tender or weak levator scapula muscle. That is a muscle that originates at the angle of the scapula closest to the spine and it inserts up on, into the occiput into the neck so it helps raise the shoulders often tender often weak often painful and the emotion behind that is lost hope so if i test and it shows that they're dealing with lost hope i'll flat out ask him where in your life do you feel like you've lost hope whether it's work or a relationship or their child I have to tackle that and get that resolved. Other areas of the shoulder, there's a muscle underneath the shoulder called the subscapularis, which is on the front side of the scapula and attaches to the humerus. One of the most often overlooked muscles I see in the shoulder, that deals with broken heart. So if that I get up in there and that muscle's really tender, who broke your heart? We have to clear that broken heart issue. We get that emotion out of the muscle, the muscle works better, range of motion's better, the pain's gone. So I will do that with every muscle around that joint, that shoulder joint, that knee joint, any joint in the body. After I've done all that and they're still not 100%, then I break out the ozone. And I tell them, 
the general rule is we do four treatments. So improvement by four or schedule no more. So if they're not any better after the four injections, I'm not going to do five, six, seven, eight. Most of the time, they get the results in under four sessions. I love ozone. In fact, I've been doing that on my shoulder and my low back. I got some buddies that inject me all the time because I'm dealing with some. My right shoulder, I actually have three torn rotator cuffs, the subscapularis, the supraspinatus, and the infraspinatus. <laughs> my orthopedic surgeon wanted to do surgery, but I said, look, I have full range of motion. I have no pain. I have no weakness. So I'm not going to get cut on and I'm not going to be dealing with the six-month recovery. He says, I understand. He says, I couldn't take six months out of my practice either. So you call me when you need me. So he was cool enough. And then the low back, you know, I, I deal with uh, some herniated discs and some spinal stenosis and the in injections do wonders. For me. Another question I get, and this just came in this week is, you know, I have a patient that thinks they're dealing with uh, chronic fatigue so syndrome. They suffer from a lot of fatigue and she says, well, I got my blood work done and my doctor said nothing to worry about, nothing wrong. You know, the CBC differential is what I like to look at because that's going to tell me, you know, if there's a bacteria or a fungus, virus or parasite issue. And the monocytes were at 12. Now the acceptable range is 2 to 8%. It was 12. He says, don't worry about it. These happen all the time. Just blew it off. If the monocytes are higher than 7%, you have a viral infection. Plain as day. And if that monocyte count is 12 or 13 or 14, you do an Epstein-Barr virus test, it'll be positive. Problem is most doctors aren't trained in functional medicine. Most of the ranges are so big, they ignore it or they you know, were never taught it. So this patient had a monocyte level of 12%. I said, you've got a virus, so let's put you on some VIVI. Or also check them for olivirix. I'll put them on those. Check their vitamin D level. Check their vitamin A level. Usually when I'm dealing with a viral issue, I will have them take vitamin A and vitamin D for a period of time. In addition, the VIVI from systemic formulas. I'll do the immune formula from Absolute Labs, it's also called TriGuard, or I'll do Olivirex from Olivirex, Biocidin, company that does Biocidin, so they have Olivirex. So those are the things I'll use to counteract a virus, and then we will, you know, two or three months, we'll do another CBC differential and see where their viral load is, but most often when we address the virus, using Neuralink and supplementation, we get that viral count down and they start feeling better. And another question I get asked, well, I, it was not really a question, it was more of a statement. You know, I, I, I tried keto, I tried carnivore, it's just not sustainable. And I laugh a little bit. So I have a lot of patients that come into my office that wanna lose weight, they're overweight. They have high blood pressure. They have type 2 diabetes. They have high triglycerides. They have low HDL levels. They're feeling like crap. 
They need to lose weight. They're 40, 50, 60 pounds overweight. And when they tell me keto or carnivore is not sustainable, well, I just throw it back at them and say, look, your standard American diet, the way you've been eating the last 30, 40, 50 years is not sustainable. Your obesity is not sustainable. Your high blood pressure is not sustainable. Your type 2 diabetes is not sustainable. It's going to kill you. It's your choice. It's your journey. If you want to get rid of your type 2 diabetes and drop your A1C to normal levels, to drop your blood glucose to normal levels, lower those triglycerides, elevate those HDLs, lose 30, 40, 50 pounds. Keto and carnivore are wonderful tools to achieve that. And if you're so caught up in feeling deprived or feel like you're missing out on something, on food, well, maybe you need to reevaluate the emotional component behind your sugar cravings, behind your carb addictions. I ask them, do you live to eat or do you eat to live? Because once you start on that journey, keto, carnivore, and you stick to it and you start feeling better and you start losing weight and you start losing the cravings, most people don't want to go back. Unfortunately, many people, we can call it laziness, apathy, we can call it self-destruct, whatever you want to call it. Their health is truly not a priority in their life. If someone wants to lose weight and normalize their blood markers, they have to make their health a priority. And once you make something a priority, it's not about motivation, it's discipline. It takes discipline. So that's about it for today. If you enjoyed the podcast, go on Apple, go on Spotify, leave me a review. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at dr.corey.ohd at hotmail.com. You can direct message me on Facebook at Corey Saunders DC. That's the page I'm frequently at the most. I'm available for consultations. You can call the office, 801-476-1752. Love to hear from you. Go out, have an awesome day, and kick some ass. The information contained in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. All information presented by the hosts, guests, and all other material is not intended as a replacement or treatment for any medical condition nor is it intended to examine, diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Before engaging in any healthcare decision, please seek the care and guidance of a qualified medical physician.